0: Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and God, I thank you for um, just the lives that have been healed and changed here uh, in our church and pray that you continue to do that. And God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would bless it, Uh, help us to see not only the truth in it, but help us to hear it and obey. God, I thank you for your word and its work in our life. And I pray, God, now that it would do that, it would not return void. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We started a series last weekend called Mobilize, talking about five objectives that we are seeking to accomplish as a part of our Multiply initiative that we started at the beginning part of this year. And if you weren't here for that series that is online, that kind of talks about our vision to multiply at every level at our church, ultimately to seek the welfare of cities beyond our city, to move out. And we've already begun to see that and experience that, and what God's doing in Jasper and, and what God's doing in other places. It's amazing. And now we're coming back around that to say, okay, that's our initiative. That's kind of the big thing over the next two years. Now, what does that mean? We're we're kind of drilling down into that a little bit more and looking at five objectives that we're hoping to accomplish as a part of that. So I'm just taking five weeks to talk through those objectives. And if you were here last week, we said objective number one is spiritual development. What we might call our grow process, not might call, we do call our grow process. We exist to love Jesus and grow people. And so ultimately, at the core of everything that we're doing, and you'll see this displayed on graphics and other places, what the core of what we're doing is trying to develop people spiritually. That's just another way of saying make disciples. That's what Jesus gave us the command to do. And grow is our way of doing that. It's gospel, relationships, obedience, works. And so we're all about spiritual development. And what you're going to see as a result of these objectives is in next year, at the beginning of next year, we're gonna come back and emphasize each one of these objectives in a different series with a different emphasis. So in January, I just want you to go ahead and prepare now, all right, we'll remind you again in December, but we're gonna do a 21-day uh, prayer and fasting as a church, as an entire church, to really focus in, because it's the new year, and we're more you know, apt to at least think about discipline at the beginning of the year, right? We're at least willing to try something, And so starting the first Sunday in in 2018, we'll launch this 21-day prayer and fasting initiative where we're really going to be praying, fasting, reading our scriptures as a church, kind of collectively. And this is something we're going to do multiple times in the year and really start as a rhythm in our church every year. Just to bring back these spiritual disciplines and say, hey, this is the goal. Spiritual development is the goal. And so, so much so, we're going to emphasize that. We are going to try to accomplish that as a church. And so spiritual development is at the core of everything that we're trying to do. So every campus, every church that we start, that's why we're starting them, so that we can develop people spiritually, so we can make disciples, make disciples, Now what I want you to see this week is the second objective that goes right along with the first one. If you think about the first one is faith formation, the second one is family formation. I'm going to give it to you like this. It's here on the screen. Objective number two is family development, family development. And the reason why it's number two is because it's so closely tied to number one, is, is number one is spiritual development within us as a person, within us as an individual. And objective number two is about, okay, taking that faith and forming our families around that faith. Because the greatest disciples we will ever make are in our own home. The, I should have got an amen there. I'm just saying, I know it's fifteen, but come on now. The greatest disciples we will ever make are in our own home. Amen. Thank you. And so it starts there. Uh, There was a rather kind of controversial book that was written several years ago called Coming Apart, and it's not a Christian book, it's a secular book, but but it looks like the coming apart of our society over the last 30 or 40 years, and the two primary things that he found were the cause were a lack of faith formation and a lack of family formation or the disintegration of those. And so when you talk about faith, you talk about an individual's relationship with God, but then the very place that that faith is to be lived out, first and foremost, is in our families. And so as a church, what we're saying is this, our church is only as strong as our families. Our church is only as strong as our families. And so when it comes to faith, what we're talking about is The reason why we want you to have faith, the reason why the reason the reason why we want you—that's a lot of R's and W's there. Sorry, you know I'm still learning speech, right? I couldn't hear as a kid, you know that. And so the whole point is, we're saying we want that faith to be developed in your family, or or within your family, in your with your spouse, with your kids, with your grandkids. We want this faith to be passed down from you into your family. And so as a church, what we're saying is we're making that an objective. We are making that as a part of something we want to multiply into every campus, strong families. And so we're reorganizing our staff around this. We are kind of repositioning things to say, okay, how do we not just you know, ha- have a program for kids and students, which is highly important to teach them about Jesus on their level, But how do we partner with families to make sure that the faith is really being passed down, not just through our our church, but through their parents? So how do we partner with our parents? And so you'll see that start to develop over the years that we're really trying to come alongside all of our parents and grandparents and people, because we're all part of a family, whether we like them or not, right? But how do we partner with you so that faith is built in your families? And we've got a biblical reason for that, and so let's look at that, all right? Uh, Two primary places we're going to be today, 2 Timothy, so you can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy, that's in the New Testament, and then somewhere along in the message, I'd like to say halfway through, but it doesn't always work out like that, uh, probably five minutes left, uh, we'll go to another set of scriptures in Deuteronomy, all right, which is in your Old Testament, it's the fifth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, And so let's go to 2 Timothy first, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter six after that. All right, 2 Timothy, we're gonna start in chapter three, and I'm gonna reference chapter one as well. I've got it here on the screen, and so if you can flip back from, from chapter three to chapter one, then we'll go back to chapter three, all right? So 2 Timothy chapter three, verse 14 and 15 says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this, but as for you, continue, And what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now listen to verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Referring to scripture, referring at this point to the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to Timothy And he's giving this command. He says, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. That word there learned means been instructed. So Timothy had been instructed in the scriptures. Timothy had been told about the scriptures. He had been brought up in the scriptures and then he believed the scriptures. And and this is the correlation I want you to see. You can't believe in what you haven't been instructed in. You, You can't firmly believe in something if you don't know what it is. And so Paul says, you know who you, who you learned it from. He says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with, taught, instructed by the sacred writings. Now that phrase there, acquainted with, in childhood, the, the idea is a nursing child. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, since you were a nursing baby, you've been familiarized with the writings of sacred scripture, with the Old Testament. You've been brought up in this. Now just flip quickly to 2 Timothy chapter one just to show you, this is how you read your Bible, right? You connect it to other parts in the scriptures. Look at 2 Timothy chapter one, this is the beginning of the book. Paul says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, verse five, a faith, now listen to this, that dwelt first in your grandmother Louis, and in your mother Eunice, or Eunice, depending upon how redneck you are, right? And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, now check that. So chapter three, says, you've been acquainted with the scriptures from childhood. In chapter one, he tells us how was he acquainted with them from childhood. It came from his grandma and it came from his mama. Which would make sense because if he was hearing the scriptures from when he was nursing, it would mean his mama was doing it, right? And so when he was nursing on his mother, his mother was acquainting him with the scriptures. You know what I take to that? It is never too early to tell our kids about Jesus. It is never too early. This is why I love our Rev Kids ministry here. It is not childcare. It is not daycare. It is growing kids, even babies being acquainted with Jesus and the scriptures, which is what the scriptures are about. It's what he said there in chapter three. The scriptures are able to make you wise through faith in Christ Jesus. And he was talking about the Old Testament. He said, if you read the Old Testament, you'll be wise. You'll see Jesus. But what you see here is the faith formation in Timothy didn't start with Paul. It didn't start with Paul. It started with his grandma. Aren't you thankful for grandmas? Man, I'm so thankful for grandmas, right? And not just because you know my grandma could cook. God, my, I, I was fortunate enough to live Until I got married almost with my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother lived by herself until she was 95 and mowed her own grass. And then she died at 96. I got to baptize her in her early 90s. It was awesome. So we didn't have a a family formation of of Christianity. Literally, I didn't grow up going to church. My great-grandmother, I would ask her to take me to church in her mid-80s. And I never forget one time when she picked me up from church and I got in. And As soon as I got in, I buckled my seatbelt. And she was like, yeah, you need to buckle your seatbelt. There's a lot of construction out here. I said, Grandma, I'm not buckling my seatbelt because of construction. I'm buckling my seatbelt because you drive your age. That's why I'm buckling my seatbelt. And She did. She had a Chevy Nova with a big engine in it. We eventually had to take it away from her. But my great-grandma would take me to church when my parents weren't. And she wasn't even going to church. She, she didn't even go to church. But by God's grace, she took me. I got saved. Then not get my whole family in church until the point where that saint great-grandma that took me to church, I got the privilege of baptizing her. One of the greatest joys of my life. But, but here's what I want you to see. The faith formation in Timothy didn't start with Paul. It started in his grandma. And then from his grandma to his mother. And then from his mother, Paul says, I know it dwells in you. I know it dwells in you. And so here's what I want you to see. Faith is to be formed in our families. That's where it's to be formed. It shouldn't start in church. It should be completed in church. It shouldn't start in church. And what do I mean by that? Look at verse six here. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's what I want you to see. There's this beautiful kind of symbiotic relationship where the faith started in Timothy's family, but it was fanned into flame through Paul. So it started there. And then he says, hey, you fan this into flame, the gift of God, which was in you by the laying on of my hands. See, the faith that was in Timothy didn't come from Paul, but the gifts that were in Timothy were brought out by Paul. That's how it should work. The faith starts in our families, and then the gifts are brought out by the church. Remember I told you last week, Ephesians 4, what we're trying to do is, is equip us to do good works. That's the gifting part of it. So our job primarily as a church is not just to form faith, but it is to fan flames of gifting. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And what you see is there's this amazing relationship between Timothy's family and between Timothy's pastor. So you got his family, and then you got his faith family, if you will, like the church. And they're working together. This is one of the reasons why I love the curriculum we use in Rev Kids. It's called Orange. And the reason why we use it is because you know yellow and red make orange. And the idea of it is yellow is the church, red is the home, and those two should work together to produce something in the child. That's what's orange. And so it's working together. It's a bringing together of the church and the family. So I love what we do in Rev Kids. And so what we're doing in Rev Kids, again, it's not just an hour programming. It's saying, no, we're teaching Jesus on their level, but we're also working with you as a family to form that faith in them. So if our kids aren't even in Rev Kids, we're missing out on the partnership. We're missing out on the partnership that we could have. And you see that partnership right here. See, see Paul saying, this started in your grandma. I just got to imagine, see, Timothy was one of Paul's greatest disciples. He was one of Paul's greatest disciples. I mean, just what he, he wrote him several letters, what he did and what he was able to accomplish in the churches that Paul started. Timothy came around and organized those, put elders in place, put leadership in place so that the ministry could continue. I got to think that Paul was so grateful for Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother. So much so, I want you to see this. So much so, he puts their names in the Bible. What a testimony. What a testimony when we get to heaven and we're like, there's Lewis, Timothy's grandma. There's Eunice, Timothy's grandma. Think about this. If, if his grandma hadn't passed down faith to his mom and his mom hadn't passed down faith to, to Timothy, we wouldn't have a section of scripture. We wouldn't have that. It started in the family. And so what we're saying here as a church is we care about families. We want to partner with you, help you as a family, not only to develop faith in yourself, but in your family. So that a family is formed around faith. It's rooted, it's built in. And, And our goal as a church is not to replace the family, but to to come alongside the family and just help fan the flame of faith that's been sparked in the family. That, that's what we're trying to do. Why? Because it takes a village, right? It, it takes a village to raise a child and we've lost that sense of community. I'll, I'll never forget my father describing how he grew up in the street that he grew up in. See, back then they didn't have A.C. They didn't, you know, so the windows were up. And, and literally he would say in his neighborhood, when his mom wanted him home, she would just whistle and everybody in the neighborhood heard. And so he was four houses down or five houses down and he knew. And, and he said his goal was to get home before the other families found him and disciplined him because the other families would discipline him before he ever got home. If they knew that, that she had called him, my grandma had called him, but he wasn't coming home. He's like, so I didn't just have to face my grandma. I had to face every mom in that neighborhood. And we look at that and we're like, oh, oh child abuse, right? But, but the point is, no, no, that's not the point. The point is our neighborhoods functioned differently back then. They just did. Now, we can lament that, that we all go into our HOAs and hit the garage door and get in and hit the garage door, right? Like, yeah, see, I'm starting to get away from you. Like, we can lament that. Right? Or we can supplement that with the church. And that's what we should do. This is the community. This has always been the community. And yeah, it may not be happening in your neighborhood, but it can happen here. This is the community of people that together we are bringing up our kids, our grandkids in faith. It starts in our families and it's fanned into flame By the church. Why? Because if our kids don't know the scriptures, then they are missing out on the wisdom that it takes to know about salvation in Jesus. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 now. Sorry for the little jump around, but look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says this All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. That's not just referring to the Old Testament, that's referring to itself, the New Testament too. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God, now that's referring to Timothy, ladies, so don't just see that it's only for men. No, it's for men and women, but Paul's writing this to a man. He's saying so that the man of God, so that you, Timothy, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if our goal as a church is to equip you for the good work, what is required for the equipping? The scriptures. That's what's required. That's why last week we talked about in order to mobilize you, there's got to be spiritual formation. You've got to be acquainted with it. You got to know it. You got to believe it. It's got to get in you. Why? Because it is literally the breath of God. Now, when I speak, my breath is coming out, which can be a negative thing depending upon how close you are when I'm talking, right? Like, you know those close talkers. And I've talked about them. That's one of my goals, to eliminate close talkers in church. Like, back on up, man, all right, you know? Like, these are the people like, hey, Pastor Jason, hey, how are you, right? Like, when I talk, y- you hear my words and you smell my breath. Because it's my breath, right? That's coming out of my lungs, through my vocal cords that are making my words. Here's what the Bible is saying about itself. When you read the word of God, it's literally the very words that came out of his mouth. It's breathed out by him. And people say, well, man wrote it. Yeah, but it's called inspiration. God inspired people to write these words, he put his, he breathed out his words into their heart. And when they wrote it, it's his words. So when you're reading these words, you are reading the very word of God. You are getting a sense of the word of God and you can smell his breath. And so let me ask you a question. Have you been so close to the word of God? You could smell him like it was just getting on you and that may be a weird way to think about it and I'm uh, sorry for that but 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 it's about intimacy is my point it's about a relationship see see these words aren't just words they're not just written words printed up on a press and and given to you this is the only book on planet earth that is alive The Bible says about itself it's living, it's active, it's able to cut through marrow, it's able to cut through any wall we put up. It's able to get right to the heart. Why? Because it's the word of God. This is why when the Bible describes Jesus coming back, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. And that sword coming out of his mouth is depicting his word because his word is a sword. So he's saying all scripture is God breathed. And since it's God breathed, I mean, think about this. The word of God is what created the world. So words create worlds. And that's so true, culturally speaking. Our, our culture as a church is, is created by the words we speak. So this is when David talked a few weeks ago about encouraging one another. That's why it's so important to encourage because my words are creating worlds. They're creating atmosphere. They, they are creating a context, a culture. And so if my words are always negative, if my words are always pessimistic, if my words are always tearing down, then what kind of world am I creating? You with me there? And so God's word creates worlds. And and what kind of world does God's word create? He tells you. It creates a world where we're built up, we're made complete, where we're taught, where we're reproved, where we're corrected, where we're trained. That's the kind of world his word creates. So don't you think it's important Don't you think it's important to not only know the word, but to speak the word? To speak it? Don't you think it's important for your children, your grandchildren, your family, to hear the word of God? I don't want my kids as a pastor the only time they ever see me break, a, break open a Bible is when I preach. Because if that's what they see of me, then they know that's my profession. But I'm not professing it. If they don't see me in the Word, if they don't hear me, then what kind of world am I creating in my home if it's not created by the words that were very, that were breathed out by God? Is it a culture of life and flourishing in my home where my kids are brought up? That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. And that's why as a church, we're saying we want to come alongside you as families because most of us as families, let's be honest, it's very easy to say, you know what? Well, my parents never taught me that. And you're probably right. Because the idea of family discipleship is lost in the modern church age. Like, oh, no, no, you do it. Especially teenage ministry. You know, teenage ministry, student ministry is the hardest. Because when you got kids, they still listen to their parents. And when you got adults, they've screwed up their life and they want to come back. But you got teenagers that hadn't screwed it up yet, but they know they're right. Right? And so there's this. So all the time as a student pastor, parents would come, hey, can you fix my kids? But. And I wouldn't be pessimistic, but I almost would say to them, I wanted to say to them, it may be too late. This should have started when they were 12 minutes old, not 12 years old. One pastor said, Jason, you got 12 years to create the kind of teenager you want to live with. I'm like, wow, my son's 13 now. Think about it. You put a seed in the ground. And that first year that seedling comes up, I can direct it. But when that seedling has been in the ground for 13 years, it's a little bit harder to steer, isn't it? Like if it's crooked, it's crooked. And I'm not saying Jesus can't change it. Jesus can change anybody. But but here's my point. Somewhere, and I see this with fathers a lot. Oh, it's really important for them to be with their mama. No, it's important for you to hold them too. Faith is is supposed, you know what the sad thing about Timothy was? It didn't come from his daddy. It came from his mama. Because we know his dad was Greek. He didn't believe in Jesus. So when the kids, he says from childhood. From childhood. You know, a lot of parents' greatest fears is when they have the talk with their kids. You know, the sex talk, and maybe some of you never had it. But I'll never forget one night at like three in the morning, Jackson was two weeks old, and that's the first time we had it. Like, he don't remember it. it wasn't for him. It was for me. It was practice. So we are talking about it, son. When you grow up, this is what's going to happen. When you grow up, this is what's going to happen. And this is why it's so important. Now, you know, my son's just there. I mean, like, no, he remembers. Why? Because he heard my voice. He heard my voice and what my voice was telling him was training him and instructing him and correcting him and bringing him up so that when he hears my voice at eight and at 12 and at 18, he's used to hearing that voice. He understands that and it's a sense of calm and correction in his life. So my point is this, when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the word of God, it is never too soon, never And it's our responsibility as parents and grandparents to bring our kids up. Now, thank God. I mean, I didn't grow up in church and I got saved at 13. And God can still work in families. I'm not saying if you didn't start then, it's all messed up. Just go have a beer and just mourn your losses, right? No, my point is start wherever you are. Start wherever you are. Start building faith into it and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open up their eyes and to see the truth of the words you're saying to them. But that's where it starts. Now flip to Deuteronomy chapter six. got seven minutes left. I was close. Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four. This is a very famous section of scripture in the Hebrew life, in in a Jewish person's life. It's it's called the Shema, which is a prayer that they would pray morning and evening. And it comes from the very first word here in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four of here. So the word Shema is is that word here. And so this is what God says, Hear, O Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So that's, that's spiritual formation. That's faith formation in the person. He's saying these words that I'm speaking, those should be on your heart. Now look at verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So now you see the family formation. It's almost like it's the same God all the way through. I know, it's, it's crazy. But way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the principle that was illustrated in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 3. Hey, these words that I command you, first and foremost, they shall be on your heart. It should be on your heart. Then you shall teach them to your t- children diligently. And that word diligently means this. It means to teach and impress by frequent, free, I can't speak, frequent repetitions or admonitions. It is persistent instruction. An hour a week for your kids is not enough. It's not enough. Your kids' lives will be formed by the dominant voice they hear. And our culture is forming our kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are kidding ourselves if we delegate it to the church and think one hour a week is going to combat that. No chance. No chance. I mean, it's sheer math. So what they hear on Sundays or on Wednesdays has got to be heard Monday through Saturday. Monday and Tuesday, if it was Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? It's gotta be reinforced. It's gotta be heard. They've gotta hear it to the point to where the world that they live in is not predominantly formed by the culture, but it's formed by the family. He's saying you shall teach your children diligently. You shall talk about it when you're walking. Do you walk with your kids and talk with them? That's a simple one right there. Like my kids are 15. They won't walk with me. Tell them they ain't getting a car if they don't. Don't walk with you. But, but again, if you start at 15, it's too late. I'm not, let me clarify. I'm not saying it's too late. I'm just saying you got to work overtime. So he's saying when you walk, talk. When they lie down, when they get up. And then he says this. Look at verse 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's what's crazy. When you look in Jewish culture, primarily in the time of Jesus, when Jesus came, you don't know Jewish people, they did exactly what that verse said. They took the word and put it in his frontlet before their eyes. They wore it on their wrists. They had it on the doorposts of their home. But you know what Jesus indicts them for? He was like, it's all over your house. It's on your clothes, but it ain't in your heart. It ain't in your heart. And see, we look at that verse, and like, if you look at that verse, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go home and put up, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. You can put it up above your doorpost, but if it ain't in your house, I mean if it ain't in your heart, it's not going to be in your house. You can put up, you know, some Pinterest signs in your living room, you can have some scriptures. But if it ain't in your heart, it's not going to exist in your house. In fact, you're doing more damage because they're seeing it on the wall, but they're not seeing it in you. In order for it to exist in our house, it has to live in our hearts. That's the point of the scripture. The point of the scripture is not put it on your walls. Although, hey, no problem with that. Put it on your walls if you want to. Tattoo it on your wrist. I did, if you want to. That's fine. But, but the point is not go do these external things. What is he saying here in the Shema? He's saying hear. What is he saying? And see, the word hear means to obey. In Hebrew understanding, if you heard without obeying, you never heard. So he's saying... First and foremost, and Jesus affirms this in Matthew 22 when they were trying to trip him up, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus is like, I know the greatest commandment, man. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So the, hear me, the greatest gift we can give our kids is for us to be in love with Jesus. And the second greatest gift we can give our kids is for us to be in love with our spouse. If your kids and my kids see that we love Jesus and we love each other, there's almost nothing we can't overcome because they're seeing faith lived out. They're seeing it formed in me and in my wife and in our home. And so the command of God in our lives as believers is not only just to let faith be formed in us, but to let faith form our families. Let me ask you this. We teach our kids to root for our favorite teams, don't we? To wear the gear, to lose their salvation on Saturdays. We teach them that. Why? Not because it's hard. Why is that so easy? You wanna know why that's so easy? Because you love your team. You love your team. You're passionate about your team. And when you love and you're passionate about something, it just has a tendency of coming out of you. You know why it's so hard to form our families around faith? It's not because we got bad kids. A lot of times, it's because we just not passionate enough. It's not in our hearts. And so our commitment as a church is to come alongside you as families and help you to form faith. But listen, we don't want to have to undo what's been done. We want faith to be formed in grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and into kids. And then we get the honor and privilege of just coming along and fanning into to flame the gifts. And when we partner together as a church in faith formation and family formation, I'm telling you, the world will never be the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for you being our Father God, so many of us, when we hear a message like this, we lament the fact that we weren't brought up in a home like this. But God, I pray that we would see that even when our fathers and mothers failed, that that you're our father. You're our father. And you are forming faith in us. And so, God, help us to help us to look past what our families didn't do and see you and what you did do. You sent your son, which became our brother and our savior. And then some of us, God, were brought up in families like this. Praise God. There's a legacy of faith. And God, I thank you for what you've done in my family. We kind of got the cart before the horse where the kid went first, but God, thank you for the faith that is now alive in my earthly father and then was alive in my mother. And by your grace now, God is alive in my kids. God, that's what we want. But it can't happen unless it's first alive in us. So God, I pray for anybody in the house right now who's never trusted you. They have not been made wise to faith in Jesus. And the scriptures tell us, God, that you sent your son to die for us so that we could live. So nobody looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never had faith formed in you, you've never trusted Jesus, that it never Started, it never sparked. It never, they're, they're, you can't fan into flame what's not there. And so it can be there right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes and you hear, maybe for the first time, that God loves you. So if that's you, I'm asking ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. not trying to embarrass you. It's between you and God. And it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sins. I give you my life. Ask you to save me, forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you just prayed that again, nobody looking around or talking, I want you to do one thing for me. Would you just simply lift your hand up so we could know who you are? Just lift it up. Thank you. Just lift it up. Just lift it up. Leave it up just for a second. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. And when they do, you can put that down, and it's just some resources, a Bible to help you in this new faith journey. But I know there's a lot of us, probably most of us, that would say we've already trusted Christ. And I want you to hear me. What you've done up until this point, it's past, whether good or bad. You can't rely on the good things you did when they were young and miss out on doing it now. Nor can you, is it healthy to stay stuck on what you didn't do, but you can start now. Maybe the greatest thing you can do is just go home to your kids and say, forgive me. Forgive me. I haven't brought you up in faith, but I'm committing to do that now. I want you to hold me accountable to it. And Just watch what the Lord does. So let's make a commitment as a church to pass faith on. You realize the gospel is always one generation away from dying out. But we want to be a legacy family that's passing it on, that someone could write, it started in us and then went to my kids, then went to my grandkids. We're here to partner with you to make that happen. Father, thank you. God, we ask that faith would be formed not only in individuals, but in families. Give us the grace and the creativity and the drive to commit to always do that. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we get out of here, let's give it up for those who trusted Christ today. Thank you. Yeah. Proud of you. There's a connection card in there. If you'll fill that out, give it back to us. That would be extremely helpful. And be looking over the next several months, especially in the new year, we're going to be talking about faith formation, family formation, and how we can help you with that. And so we're excited about that to try to work to accomplish this objective. We're partners with you in that. All right. We love you. We'll see you next week.